Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to The Heart Strong, a podcast where we explore navigating the challenges in our lives. It's my personal mission to guide you towards your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living heart strong. Today on the HeartStrong Podcast, I'm sitting down with Ryan Scoble. Ryan is a senior at Mercyhurst College in Erie, Pennsylvania, and he's a Division II lacrosse player. He grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and today we're going to talk about turning obstacles in our life into opportunities. In 2021, he was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy during his junior year of college, and he received a heart transplant um, subsequently. And 18 months later, which is incredible, he was back on the lacrosse field, um, which you know, many people thought was was not going to be possible. And so today I say we're going to have like a masterclass in being heartstrong of what it means to grow through the challenges of our lives and to create impact around us. Ryan's story was featured in the Wall Street Journal just a couple weeks ago. And I had about, I don't know, so many people reach out to me and they're like, you need to try to get him on the podcast. And so today I have the chance. And so Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Very happy to be here, Jessica. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, I'm sure many people have told you that you have an inspiring story, and so I'm excited to dig into that today. But something that really stuck out to me when I was prepping for this is that you grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you and I have an Ohio connection. My husband always says Ohio people are the best, which we are. and so you grew up in Cincinnati and you were recruited to Mercyhurst, which is an, an incredible D2 lacrosse program. And I read that one of the coaches that recruited you said that he loved your grittiness and your determination. And so you obviously have personified that subsequently, but I'm curious, have you always been that way? Has that always been part of who you are? Yeah, it, it has. Um, you know, I, I look back kind of how I was raised and, 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 Growing up, I had kind of grew up with with two parents that that represented the the two different spectrums of strength. You know, I, I had my dad who um, who was who was kind of you know the the stoic kind of dad figure, where you know he he was never complaining. No no challenge was too small, um, and it, he was always kind of ingraining in my head that you know just don't quit. You know, never say mm-hmm. never. Uh, that was a lot of the ideals he pushed into me. And um, a lot of that translated to sports and and outside of sports. And then my mom on the other side of the spectrum was was an image of of, of mental strength. You know, she was always nothing was too big for her to to accomplish with her mind. And I think both of those sides kind of came together and allowed me to, to really fundamentally have have all of that that form of strength and uh, both mental and physical. And a lot of that kind of translates to my play. I was. You know, I never really was was into into the offensive side of it. You know, a lot of people have the perception of lacrosse kids being, you know, pastel khaki shorts and mullets <laughs> and you know wearing vineyard vines and that. And and I like to to hit those kids. You know, that was always kind of I got my joy out of that. Is is I like being in the trenches of it. You know, mm-hmm. kind of being in the thick of it. So yeah, I would I would say grittiness and determination was was definitely what caught my coach's eye. Um, and yeah, a lot of that translates off the field too. 
Sure, sure. So the, the way you were raised, I guess what I'm getting to is that you have some fundamental basics within you that your parents yeah. instilled in you that almost was like a, a foundation or like a for what you would eventually face in your own life. And I love how you said that sports are, they are such a training ground for life. I, yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. I played high school sports. My husband was a college football player. I have lots of athletes in my family. And I think it does make for um, a mental strength, a mental ability that that's really, really important. Okay. So you went to play at Mercyhurst where you're currently a senior, yep. right? And, and in junior year, I know there was a year off because of COVID you yeah. discovered that you were in heart failure. So kind of tell us that story of how that went down and, yeah. and, and, and the details of that. Yeah. So it was kind of a perfect storm. Um, before coming back, we had an elongated break because of COVID. Um, and, in the middle of my break, I, I ended up fracturing my foot in, in four different places. So I missed most of the preseason in, of the lacrosse season, which was four to five weeks. Um, upon coming back, I was eager to get back on the field. Um, that junior year is a big year. Um, as far as, you know, your freshman, sophomore year, kind of your, your, your fundamental stages of development in college cross. And that junior year is kind of when you come out of your shell. So I was eager to get back on the field. Um, and I remember staying after practice and being like, Oh, you know, I, I, I felt as if I was out of shape due to my, my four weeks off with my foot. Um, so I, I would stay after and I'd run, I'd train a little bit extra just to kind of catch myself up to my teammates. And I realized the more I, I was training, the more I was extra work I was putting in, the more I felt out of shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and these side effects continued to, to worsen. It would, it would go into me, waking up in the middle of the night with my heart beating out of my chest. I would wake up sometimes and I felt like my breathing was irregular. Um, and again, I, at this time, you know, I'm, I'm a college athlete. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's a sinus infection or this is allergies or, or maybe this is COVID, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm diagnosing it in, in so many other things other than a serious illness. Um, and it took a couple took about a month of, of playing lacrosse with, with heart failure to what I'd later become was heart failure. Um, and I remember there was a, one of my first games back, we were in West Virginia and I was, um, I, I got in, I want to say late, late third quarter. And, um, I was, it was my first game back. I was a little nervous and, and stepping on the field. I just remember I, I couldn't, I couldn't finish a play. You know, mm. I, I could make the first, two steps. I, I could get out there and play the guy. But after that, I, I had immediately dropped to my knees and, and catch my breath. And my trainer, Jake Winkle, my athletic trainer is uh, very familiar with me. And he, he noticed that I had a, no color in my skin. I just looked out of it. Um, and he pulled me out and he goes, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to pull you out. You just don't look good right now. Um, the next day he had me get a, uh, an x-ray um, on my chest. And then again, they're thinking, you know, at the time, it's it's just does he just have, you know, like I said, does he just have mucus buildup? Is this his allergies? Mm-hmm. Why why is he struggling to breathe? Um, so midday, I went to uh, to get that X-ray the day following the game, um, and I got a call that night around eight thirty at night from from my athletic trainer, and he said, "I'm going to pick you up first thing in the morning, and we're going to go straight to the hospital." Wow! Uh, at that time, I knew it was something serious. I didn't know what exactly. Um, and the next morning upon arriving, 
I was greeted by four doctors who immediately hooked me up to an EKG and a pulse ock and were taking all these numbers. And I quickly realized that the emphasis was on my heart. Mm. That the problem was, was something bigger than I had imagined. Then shortly after I was told by a doctor that I had dilated cardiomyopathy, um, which it's going to sound silly. I, 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 I had known kind of what it was because of my dad, but I was in such shock at the moment. I was immediately like, okay, like what's the step? What's what do we move from here? You know, you know, like, do I have to take a pill? Like, like what do we have to do to, to make sure it's not so swollen or it's not so big? I immediately was, was trying to problem solve. Um, and then he was basically like, listen, man, you have heart failure. Um, this is a lot more serious than, than, than I, I think I realized at the moment. Um, and then from there, I was being transferred to hospital to hospital. I was transferred from there to a, a local hospital where I got an echocardiogram. And I found out that my heart was indeed failing in late stage of heart failure. Wow. Um, and then I eventually was transferred home where I was taken care of at um, my local Cincinnati Heart Hospital, Christ Hospital. Um, and there I was told that really the only path forward I had um, was through heart transplantation. And I was extremely fortunate, extremely lucky to be in the vicinity of of Cleveland Clinic. And there mm -hmm. I was transferred to uh, what many say is the, the best heart hospital in the nation, in yeah. the world. And uh, yeah, that's, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was I was very fortunate with with how things transpired. Um, and and at the Cleveland Clinic, I mean, the best of the best, they, they took care of me. And they, um, you know, there were some ups and downs along along the road. It wasn't, you know, I remember being told the first time, you know, you're going to have a heart transplant. You know, you need a heart transplant. And it's, it's, it's weirdly exactly like how they explain it in the movies. When you get hit with that type of news, you sit there and you're like, you know, the white noise covers your ears and you, you fixate on one thing and you're like, God, a heart transplant. Like I'm going to need, I'm going to need a foreign organ to keep me alive. Um, and I quickly, after that shifted my mindset from, wow, this is a very severe, you know, a, a very severe, scary thing to, you know, look, 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 look where a heart transplant could take you where you are now. You know, that was, I was educated shortly after that on, on what people with heart transplants do. And, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there and, and again, Jessica, I'm just looking for a glance of hope at this time. You know, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm basically told that I'm dying at a pretty quick rate. Um, and when heart transplant comes across the table, all of a sudden it's, it's this opportunity. All of a sudden it's okay. Wow. Like if, if this, if this goes right, you know, I get this, I can go back to, you know, I, I can go back to, to being active. I could go back to, to working out and running and all these things that I couldn't do with, with dilated cardiomyopathy. And I was told I would never be able to do. So when, when I was told that heart transplant was, was the path, I was almost excited. Hmm. Um, and that sounds twisted and, and, and kind of and weird because, you know, it's no one ever really thinks that they're excited to, to receive a, a pretty serious um, operation like that. But to me, that was my only that was really my only my chance um, in not only surviving, but but living the life I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's like a little, like it was a glimpse of hope. I mean, yeah. really is what it was an, it was an option. Like, and in it, you were out of options at that point quickly. Well, you found that out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned real quick, I want to take, cause I don't know if people know this part of the story. you mentioned your dad. Yeah. So your dad was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy a couple months before you were, is that right? That is right. Okay. So you knew that your dad had this, but was your dad as sick as you at the time or how was he doing? But my dad right now is doing wonderful. Um, yeah. But at that time, my dad's case was a little, little stranger. It was um, similar circumstances. My dad, you know, we're, we're both kind of cut from the same cloth. He pushed it off a lot too. You know, he mm. was saying, oh, you know, I remember him calling me. Um, like, I want to say it was the day before or two days before he was admitted to the hospital. And he's just, oh, you know, I got something, you know, I must have caught something while I was at the gym. I'm struggling to, you know, I'm getting tired walking upstairs. Mm. And it was never, to him, it wasn't, he didn't really know where it came from either. And then all of a sudden, my my dad, who, who like I said, is this image of, you know, kind of this, this just, I don't, grizzled's not the right word, but mm-hmm. but kind of a guy where where nothing really phased him. Um, and I, I, growing up, I never saw my dad cry. I never really saw my dad have a challenge too big for him. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, he went from, he doesn't know what this is to, you know, he had a his first weekend his heart failure was, was in such late stage like mine. Um, and he was on ECMO. They put him on life support oh, wow. around oh, a month wow. in. And that was tough for wow. me yeah. um, because I, I got about, you know, probably a solid week and a half to talk to my dad um, when he was in the hospital. And this is right around the holiday season of 2020. This is November, 2020, probably about two weeks before Thanksgiving. So it's like midst of COVID and mid- he's in the hospital. Yeah, mid COVID. So, we, nobody can really see my dad. He's in a nice, yeah. wow. um, and from, we're being told just by phone calls. And I remember the phone calls specifically came in at seven 30 in the morning, um, and five o'clock in the afternoon. And then we'd get one at night. Um, and, and we're relaying, we're, we're getting relayed all this information just through periodic phone calls from the nurses. Um, and yeah, he was, he was in, in pretty bad shape. Um, let alone he got COVID while being transferred from hospitals. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, kind of a perfect nightmare. You know, there, there's so many, so many things that kind of came into the downfall of it. You know, he had COVID. So that kind of prevented them from, you know, he was then put in a, in a separate ICU with, with COVID positive. So that just made things more complicated than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we held hope. You know, in that in that time, my focus was, you know, I knew what my dad would want me to do in the moment. He'd want me to, you know, be the man of the house, take care of my my mom and my sister, keep my mom um, positive and keep my mom kind of uplifted. And then my goal was was to take the information me and my mom were learning from the hospital and to relay it in a kind of in, in, in just a little more of a trying to think of the word a censored version of my sister mm-hmm. I, you know I, my, my sister's strong and, and i knew she could take it but but i didn't want her to know the details behind it because you're I, trying I, to I, protect her i was yeah and at some point the the outcome was looking really grim hmm. um but we held off hope um my dad received an lvad device a left ventricle assistive device um with covid oh my gosh wow that's incredible he was from from what we heard he was one of a handful of people ever to receive a, an LVAD with COVID. Um, and from there, he spent the the next month and a half um, 
through Thanksgiving, through through Christmas in the uh, in the ICU, and then later in, in January I got to see him for a week, and then I went back up to school. Um, so yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was it was it was a crazy time, I and mean, that that whole time. year was was wild. So he's on an LVAD, and 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 within after he gets the LVAD, that's when you're diagnosed, correct? Um, yes. My yeah, dad okay. LVAD when I'm diagnosed. So is he able to go home with the LVAD? Was yeah. he was he at home while he waited for a transplant? Yep, yep. So okay. his course of action was um, he did what well, he his left ventricle was uh, his right ventricle was still intact. Um, so the left ventricle, the LVAD worked very well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so his kind of course was at the time they told him it was anywhere between one to three years that he would receive his heart transplant. So really he was kind of adjusting to living with an LVAD. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I got to see him for, for a week and a half with the LVAD. Mm-hmm. And, and so, oh, oh, sorry. and then you, I'm sorry. So then, but then you went back up to I school. Did. I went back up to school and, um, I didn't get my diagnosis for probably two months. Um, okay. my dad to, to finding out I had this, the same condition. Wow. So then you, you find out you have dilated cardiomyopathy. How long did you wait? How long did you wait before you received your, your new heart? I, I wish I could give you an exact timeline. A lot of it was a blur, sure. um, but it was probably two months. Okay. That's pretty I mean, fast. It, it was very fast. Yeah. Um, you know, I was happy it was fast, but it was also eerie. It was fast. You of know, course. And yeah. those, and as they do the the transplants, I'm sure you're aware is is you know you, you get listed as as your condition, um, and I was pretty rough, so I was listed pretty high. Um, probably one A status or something like that. Sorry, you were probably listed like one A status. I was probably. I was two. I was two. That was two. Status. Okay. Yeah, I remember I was I was okay. level two, um, and I was you know I, I had to have a blood type, and that's the most common. Okay. So I, I got yep. really lucky with that. You did. So it's pretty, pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. So you get your new heart and you're in at the Cleveland Clinic. And is your mom like, I, I mean, I'm so curious about your mom in the story, yeah. which I've told you before this, because yeah. she had to go between, a, she carried a lot during that time. Was she with you in Cleveland? Was she with your dad in Cincinnati? Like, how did she manage that? My mom was with me in Cleveland. Okay. Um, every, every step of the way she was. She was yeah. there from, from day one. Um. Yeah, she. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry. I, no. my, my, my mom was was a huge part of it all. Sure. Um, you know, it was I was just kind of a. She would she would do both. You know, she would spend almost every day with me working. She would literally work in my in my ho- my my hospital room. Yeah. Um, and then on some weekends she would go down for for a day or two. Not even. That was like the first week she went down to see my dad, and then came back up. But um, my dad at that point um, was was comfortable with the LVAD, um, and, and he was kind of adjusting to to living with it. So yeah, my my mom was really just with me. Um, yeah, every day. So when you were, I don't know if this is pre transplant, but there was some concern about antibodies. Yeah. So. You know, for those of you who don't know, when you get a heart transplant, you have you're you're basically facing the 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 donor's immune system and your immune system, and that's why there's like chances of rejection, and you're on anti-rejection meds for your life, and hopefully they're making some strides with all of that in science. Yeah. Um, but 
you you were trying to clear your 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 body of some antibodies pre receiving the heart and it was kind of in a dire situation can you just tell us what that felt like or or what what that situation was yeah um so at the time i was listed on i was listed waiting for a heart transplant um and i was woken up i remember it so brief I, i was woken up from a nap um, and I remember the doctor telling me, Hey Ryan, um, you had tested positive for an antibody, um, of heparin and heparin is a anticoagulant that they use in, in the transplant process. And I had an antibody to it. Um, wow. my account shot up and wow. I was told immediately that I was taken off the list until, you know, this antibody was removed from my blood. Um, they told me at that time they were going to send repeat blood work. Um, and that due to my platelet count, cause I asked, I'm asking a million questions a minute to these people. Um, and I asked the doctor, I said, you know, what's, what's the chance of this coming back negative? And he, he's like, I, I can't give you an exact answer, but judging by your platelet count, um, it's almost a 99% chance this comes back positive. Wow. Um, that meaning I would be taken off the transplant list. Um, at the time. They told me before that an LVAD wouldn't be um, acquainted to me due to the fact that both my left ventricle and my right ventricle were were destroyed at this moment. Mm-hmm. So an LVAD wouldn't be that useful to me. Um, so it was really just, if, if this comes back positive, we're going to have to keep you in here for the next anywhere between three to six months um, until your blood is, is rid of this antibody. Um, and once your, your blood is rid of this antibody, then we'll be able to relist you. Um, at this time, I'm, I'm dying at a pretty quick rate. I, I don't think I have that, that time that, that's required to, mm-hmm. to have my antibody clean. So for the five days going from when my second repeat blood work was put in um, until waiting the results, I, I, I came to peace with the fact that the outcome I was most likely going to face was death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard. You know, you're, you're 21 years old and you're sitting in, in your deathbed thinking about, you know, reflecting on the life you had and, and thinking about, man, if, if I had this opportunity to do this or or if, if I have, if I get out of here, I'm going to do this or I'm, I'm going to live life this way. Um, so in those five days, I learned probably the most about myself. Hmm. Uh, and it was a lot of reflection. And, and internally, I was I was trying to come to peace with the fact that, you know, like I said, like, I might not be here much longer. You know, what, what, what is the, you know, what, what, what is, what is the, what am I going to leave on this earth? You know? And, and I remember Saturday of, of that week, um, Dr. Higgins, who's my, my lead cardiologist, I call him my good luck charm. <laughs> um, he, he came into my, my hospital room it was me and my mom. And, um, I remember him him going, oh, Ryan, has, has anybody told you the news? Um, and and I, I could tell kind of off the bat, like, something was weird because, you know, I, at the time I was I was very close with um, the, the nurses and I was in J38 in Cleveland Clinic and they're, they're the best nurses in the world. Um, and I was close with all of them. And I remember seeing them all sitting at the doorway and, and they were sitting there and, and they're, they're behind the doctor and he's like, and I'm like, oh, something's off. And he goes, your, your test results came back negative. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're going to relist you immediately. And, um, he goes, yeah, he goes, Ryan, let's, you know, let's, 
let's get you back on the list and, and let's get you a heart. And wow. I remember just this, you know, it was, it was first tears, then it was laughter, yeah. then it was tears. <laughs> um, you know, it's just this weight lifted off your shoulders. Like it was a, a blessing, like, oh my God, like, I got, like, I, like I was, I was in shock. And the funny thing is, and, and my mom remembers it at the time I'm, I'm doing art therapy um, mm -hmm. because again, I'm having this dark five days in my, my, my life. And I, at the time I was painting, I was painting a moon um, coming down, like it, like rising from the, from the horizon. And I had just sketched it. And after I got the news, my painting shifted from a moon, you know, coming up from the horizon to a sun setting, you know, wow. and it kind of encapsulated where, you know, what had happened. You know, I was, I was yeah. in this dark place thinking that the worst possible outcome is about to happen. All of a sudden I have this glimpse of another glimpse of hope, you know, another glimpse. Mm -hmm. of, wow. You know, here's, here's another beautiful opportunity. And mm -hmm. uh, the next day was mother's day. And, and I got a call, not even 12 hours after being relisted at like six o'clock um, on mother's day that I had a heart. Wow. And, um, you know, it was a pretty beautiful thing to share with my, my mom who had, oh my goodness. had been through all of this, you know, I'd been through yeah. my dad, had been through me um, and was at this time was, was handling effortlessly both of us. Hmm. Um, and, and to have that with her on, on mother's day, I mean, you know, and this is, this is a little, you know, but I, I lost my grandma, um, November of, of 2020 when my dad was in the hospital, um, my meme who, who I loved very much. And, um, my mom had, had lost her mother at a young age and, and, and her sister, um, uh, earlier in, in the two thousands. And, Wow. And we, I kind of looked at, we both looked at it as kind of a gift from the moms. You yeah. Know? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, they my, my huge. All my friends' moms at home were um, going to the, you know, going to church every, every Tuesday and reading the rosary together. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, to me, it was this, you mm -hmm. know, it was, it was the moms watching out for my mom, watching out for me, you know, kind of, uh, you know, helping us out in that moment. And it was, uh, it was, it was a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Did you think maybe you were, you mentioned it like that there was some a bigger story going on there than you could actually see? Yeah. And and there yeah. was, there was many instances, you know, that it, building off the bigger story that, that happened in the hospital that, that just can't really be explained by, yeah. you know, by reason um, mm -hmm. other than just, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later, but yeah. you know, like I was, I was had immediate connections to up to 11 11 which many say are the angel numbers yeah um i was in weirdly enough i was admitted in cleveland clinic for i believe it's 44 days which is my lacrosse number your lacrosse number yeah um, which is a which is sort of a four times 11 yeah. 44 yeah, that's, that? that's another that's another uh yeah. number. and it's um there are so many so many connections that that came alongside of it that that just you know, that I still am trying to find, you know, meaning behind and, and reason. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that you said on the, on the subject of 11 is that at two days after your transplant, you actually flatlined. I don't know where you were, if you were in your room or cath lab or whatever for 11 seconds, what happened there? Um, so I remember it was, yeah, it was, it was a couple days after my transplant and, uh, I woke up at, at five 30 in the morning. Um, and you kind of, it's kind of gross, but 
when when you're in that condition, you can't shower. I had yeah. you know, a million IVs, a million lines attached to my body. Um, so I woke up to get my my morning wipe down, um, and I believe one of the wires had gotten they they were taking off my sternal bandage. Um, that was that was my my scar all the way down my chest, and I remember being really freaked out to see it. So I, I picked my head up. And one of the wires, I had a temporary pacemaker um, mm-hmm. attached to me. One of the wires had like interlinked into the tape of, of my sternal bandage. And when my sternal bandage was taken off, um, the wire came undone. Mm. And in that, I, um, I flatlined for 11 seconds. Um, and I, I, do, I mean, do you want me to explain what I saw really? Like, yeah, that- I do. I want to know. Um, so for me, it was, and this is, I'm just going to explain it like kind of the dude way I see it. Sure. Me, my head was back and I wasn't looking and it was like I was like in Star Wars where they, they shoot through light speed. I remember like kind of the light coming out of my, my eyes and then it was mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I was in this deep, beautiful sleep and, you know, I'm in an ICU. I've, I've slept maybe two hours in this place, you know, the people yeah. around me are either on life support or, or aren't you know, late stage hospice care. So I'm, I'm surrounded in kind of a, a a scary environment. So I wasn't sleeping at all. Um, and in this time where, where I was, where I was flatlined, um, I was warm. I was comfortable. I, I never been that at peace. You know, I was laying there. I remember in, I felt as if I was dreaming and I remember seeing a green grass, blue skies, not a cloud in the skies. And I saw three gray silhouettes. One was five yards away. One was eight yards away, and one was like fifteen yards away. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I started yards. I that's how I look at a field. I, I <laughs> yeah, that's like, how you see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the more I was in this place, I felt a, a warm breeze come by my body, and I felt again. I just didn't want to leave this place. I, I'd never been mm-hmm. that comfortable in in, in weeks. Um, and the silhouettes slowly. I, I started to see heads and, and shoulders and necks form, um, and then I like shot up. I remember shooting up and being like, my God, who, like my first thought was, why are these guys waking me up? You know, I haven't slept that good in, in weeks. Mm. And um, all of a sudden I have 13 nurses in front of me going, Mr. Scoble, Mr. Scoble, are you all right? Mm. Mr. Scoble. And my, my heart rate thing is going, it's going, uh, 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 uh. and I look up and I just see flat to 150. And I'm oh like, oh my gosh. And I was like, well, you know, I, I kind of put it off of, oh, well, I'm, Maybe it was a little bit of a hiccup, you know, while I was sleeping or something. And, and I, I wasn't in high school, I wasn't the best at anatomy or, and I don't really know much about, you know, a lot of these doctor terms. So I ask, Oh, what happened? And they go, Oh, you and you and a Sicily. And, oh yeah. Uh, and I go, Oh, okay. Like, you know, which is, which is kind of a fancy term to say you flatlined. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. And then I remember, my my night nurse who I was familiar with coming in and said, Hey, I, I had an A Sicily earlier. Like, can you tell me what that means? She looked at me, she's like, You had an A Sicily? And I was like, Yeah, mm-hmm. like, you know, I what does that mean? And she goes, Oh, well, you know, you flatlined and and once that happened, I remember my initial thought is, you know, I gotta call my friends. I gotta let my friends know that, that I just died, you know, because to me in the moment, I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm adrenaline out and I'm like, Sure. Oh. Like, you know, to me it was it was something where I was like wow, like, I don't know who, who to talk to about this. And, and mm. my friends were like, dude, like, are you all right? And I was like, man, like, you know, it's kind of crazy, you know? And, and, and it was, it was wild. And, um, that 
gave me a lot of, from that point moving forward, I realized kind of like you said, there was a bigger picture hmm. um, that there was something bigger into it. And, and I'm still trying to kind of map out and, and form what I saw um, in that, in that vision or, you know, dream. I don't the know. Time. Well, yeah. it's like it was 11 seconds, but that was a lot to happen in 11 seconds. Well, like, did it feel longer than 11 seconds? What you yeah. experienced? It felt, it felt like, like, didn't felt, probably felt like two to three minutes. You know, oh. it's just enough time to really grasp the situation, feel where I was, um, and to enjoy where I was. And then mm. I, you know, woken up, um, you know, to be in, alive. And I didn't know. I just thought I was dreaming. Yeah. Wow. That's such an interesting perspective to have. And I read that you said that after that flatline, that your, your perspective was completely renewed. Like what, what was renewed? What did you feel differently about? Like after, after I found out about the fine, I just had a greater, greater appreciation. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if this sounds, I, I didn't, I didn't really fear death. And and I and I don't say that in like a, a a negligent way, you know. I I don't I don't go out and do stupid things. I don't you know fear death, but but really I I was I was kind of at peace to know that wow, like okay, like you know it's I I got to get that experience out of the way, and and now I, I can I can live life a little more, you know, a little more grateful. Um, yeah, that's the right word to describe that. But but a little more, you know, I have a greater appreciation for the smaller things, you know, mm -hmm. the, the day by days, um, because outside of 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 the positive, you know, what I saw in my flat line, you know, I still died nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And it it kind of brought to me like, wow, you know, death is inevitable. Um, it comes to all of us. And, you know, I'm just going to appreciate minute by minute. You know, I'm not going to think about your weeks ahead or months ahead or, or years ahead. Now I'm really just going to take in the moment. I'm going to take in the hour, you know, you know, where I am with my, you know, at the time. And it, it just gave me a, a, a greater appreciation, a greater appreciation that way. Hmm. That's incredible. I think, you know, I, after my son Ethan died, I did a lot of research on near-death experiences. So I, I thank you so much for sharing that with okay. us. And I actually had a podcast guest on that had a really significant one and I interviewed with him, him about it. And what, what sticks out to me is just the peace that people always feel when they have those experiences. And I think it's across you know, religions and belief systems from what I've read and I think I think that's just very interesting and also a gift because um, you know, I'm a mother whose kid did pass and yeah. I always wonder, you know, is he okay or was he okay? And when I read those, it gives me a lot of peace because I think that I have to feel like that's what he experienced. And um and I, I just, that's so cool. And I just have to tell you really quick, I, 11 has always been like a super important number to me. So it was my, I played high school volleyball. It was my number. My son, Ethan was actually in the room 11 for a year in the hospital. I mean, I had this, this is, I mean, I have a million of these, but I'll stop at this one. So we lived in an apartment while he was in the hospital and we had this little like key fob thing to get our car out of the garage because we were living in Boston at the time. And those numbers added together equaled 11. So there's like so many things. And so I, 
I relate to that with you. And there is something in that. And the way I take it personally is like, you're on the right path. Like, just keep going. Like, and so, and I, it's, I have a million stories of that. So I think you, that was really cool to hear you say that. And I'm sure it will continue to like sprout up in your life. And so I want to talk a little bit about how you decided to play lacrosse again. Like you've gone through this significant experience, like life changing experience. Um, and then you're like, well, I want to get back on the lacrosse field. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, what did your doctor say? What did your parents say? Yeah. Was it something that you're like, you just innately in yourself knew you wanted to do, or did it come over time? Like how did, how did that all go down? Um, it was, it was there was many facets to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did know that immediately after getting my heart transplant, that I was immediately going to go back to to be an active person. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like I said earlier, with my diagnosis of dilated cardiomyopathy, you're being told, you know, by your doctors, like, hey, like you can walk, um, you can do Pilates, but that that, <laughs> that, that really wasn't what I was into. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew I was going to get back to an active life. And I ultimately knew too, that I had to go back to school and, and finish my degree. I had one more year of school left. Um, so at the time I thought, what better way to tackle this challenge head on than completely returning back to the life I previously lived. And, you know, through the beauty of, of organ donation and donate life, I, I didn't want to be held back by this. I wanted to because it was my second chance of life, you know, and I wanted to live that to its, its fullest. Um, so yeah, um, I, I knew pretty soon after probably about two months after that, that I was going to make it my challenge to return back to school and be a member of the men's lacrosse team. And I remember telling my, my dad, my dad was fired up. Um, (laughs) my dad at this time is, is living with his LVAD and he's, he's kind of, motivating himself saying, you know, when I get my heart transplant, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this and, you know, I'm going to set myself up. So when I do get my heart transplant, I'm going to be able to, you know, go back to, to, you know, doing what he, he liked to do. Um, so my dad supported, my mom was a little hesitant, you know, my sure. mom, my mom had been with me every step of the way. And my mom was a little more kind of like, you know, she, 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 my mom will support me no matter what. Sure. But, but it was a little more worrisome for her. Of course. Um, and eventually when, when I kind of told her my, my goals and my aspirations building out, it's cause, cause it's, it's deeper than lacrosse. Um, I knew that if I would get myself to a point where I was and granted, Jessica, I'm, I'm rock bottom at this point. I'm 60 pounds less than I was. Um, I'm, I'm, I had acute cell rejection. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of working through all these things and, and I'm, I, I can barely do a push. I, I, I'm, I'm rock bottom, like I said. Um, and I knew that if I got myself from, from rock bottom to back to, to being at school playing lacrosse, that what I, what I would learn along the way would be well worth it. You know, the, mm. the, the challenges that I would have to overcome getting to that point would be, would be challenges and, and things that attributes that, that I would gather along the way that, that would ultimately carry on to my life to be, you know, that, mm-hmm. that would forecast success in my future. 
Um, so, so I, it was, it was a multifaceted challenge for me. Um, and I remember I, I started training about three months out of heart transplant and that was really just walking, you know, I was walking and, you know, doing body weight squats and, and really kind of taking baby steps. And I got to the point where about four months, five months in, I brought it up to my doctors and I said, Hey, you know, we, we had discussed when I was in the hospital about, you know, where could we go with this heart transplant moving forward? And I want to go back and play college across. And <laughs> it was a little like, like, dude, you know, I watched you die six months ago. And now you're talking to me about playing college across. And they were hesitant at first, um, but they kind of gave me a guideline and what I needed to do to get to that point. Um, and that was ultimately prove I can be in physical shape, um, prove that I could effectively handle having a transplant in college. That's a big part is, Oh my gosh. Medicine is. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Like just real quick for, I know several people with transplants, younger kids than you, you know, younger kids, but their parents are like, it's a, you're on a schedule with your med. Is that true? Like, are you, do you really, cause you don't want, you want to continue to keep your levels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I take, I take around 16 pills a day. Um, and that's, that's four different periods. Take one at eight in the morning. Um, which are my immunosuppressants. Um, and then I take one at 10 and two. Those are my vitamins. And then one at eight, one at eight o'clock. And that's my, my end, my nightcap of my, immunosupp- my immunosuppressants. So yeah, that, it was, that was another big challenge was, yeah. you know, prove to us that we can let you go to college and, and you're going to be a, a responsible organ recipient. Mm-hmm. Um, and around eight months, I, eight months post-op, I had proven to my care team, my doctors, my surgeons, that I was all in on this, that mm. I could handle it and that I was going to handle it. Um, and around eight months post-op, I was cleared to the following year, return to school and return to lacrosse. Wow. And from that point moving forward, from that eight-month period to when I ultimately went back to school, um, was really pushing it, you know, was mm-hmm. – was pushing the transplant um, to getting to the point where I felt comfortable in returning back to uh, an elite level lacrosse school, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was um, it was a journey. And and what I learned along the way was was a big part of it, and it was the part of it that that I knew would pay off. Yeah, well, that's what stuck out to me when you were just talking about this. Is you said you knew you were at rock bottom and you knew that the process you didn't, you know, the process of getting to that place where you wanted to be would have things in it that were going to make you a successful person. And I think that is exceptional because we live in a culture that like loves the gold medal stand, you know, we love yeah. like the championship, but we don't really value or see or talk enough about the 4 a.m. practices and the hard workouts or the mindsets that we have to have to get there. And, you know, if you talk to enough successful people in athletics and life, they'll tell you, you have to learn to love the process. Yeah. And that's kind of what you said, like you were invested in the process. You know, were there times in that process where you were like, this is too hard. I want to quit. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I wouldn't say quitting never came to my mind, but there were times where I doubted it. You know, mm-hmm. I would sit there and I'd be like, you know, what are you, what are you doing, man? You know, what, what are you trying to do? And, you know, are, are you sure this is, this is worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, because the only way to really get to the point where, you know, you can play a sport with a heart transplant is every single day pushing yourself to an uncomfortable level. Um, mm-hmm. And it's extremely uncomfortable. Sure. And I think another part of it is, to my knowledge, there's two other people in the world that have ever returned to a college athletic um, with heart transplant. And one I'm, I'm in close contact with, and, and it goes by the name of Simon Keith. Um, and Simon was, was the first guy to ever do it. And he returned mm-hmm. to college soccer with a heart transplant. And talking to him, and he brought up a really good point, it's, it's hard because there's not, there's, there's not many documents or, or instances of, of athletes returning from a heart transplant. So you're kind of, you're going down a path that, that isn't traveled. Yeah. So there's a lot of uncertainty with it. Um, and with me, there was an extreme amount of uncertainty because, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, it's, it was every day, you know, it's, I, I, I didn't, I was kind of aimlessly pushing myself forward because I, I still didn't know, you know, at the end of the day, would I be able to, you know, when, when I show up to school, am I able to even do this? Like it was still mm-hmm. up in the air. Um, but it was really the idea of, you know, this is your opportunity to, to not only prove to yourself, but, but to prove to so many other people that, that you're, you're only limited, you know, by, by yourself, you're only limited by, by what you tell yourself. Um, and it's, it's the, the mindset that, this isn't an obstruction. You know, I, I didn't never looked at this event as something that would prevent me from being successful in the future or holding mm-hmm. me back. I, I looked at it, like, like you said before, as, as opposite. You know, I, I knew mm-hmm. that this was an opportunity and that that notion is always what kept me in line. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's you're doing this for, for a bigger purpose. You know, don't don't quit now. Look how far you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not you've already exceeded your own expectations and, and hundreds of other expectations. Keep pushing one more day, you know, mm-hmm. one more rep, you know, one more mile. It was, it was just, you know, push yourself a little bit more. Um, and yeah, there, there was a lot of uncertainty with it, but, but I quickly combated that with, with the perspective of it and, mm-hmm. and where I was and, and what I was aiming to achieve. And what an incredible honor for whoever this donor is that gave you this gift of life. Yeah. I mean, that you would take it because I've been the parent sitting, going through the transplant workup for my child. They instill in you very early that this is a tremendous privilege oh. to receive. It's a, it's a gift of life. I mean, that's what it calls. It is a second chance at life. Yeah. And so it's like, to take that gift and to make it so beautiful and so accomplished. And I just think that that's the best way to honor whoever this amazing person is. Um, And I think it's like, you know, I always say the heartstrong band is, is about not what happens to us, but it's about what we do with it. It's like, what are the opportunities that we're going to take? Like, who are we going to become? What are we going to create? How are we going to help? Who are we going to inspire? Those are like the four questions that make up the HeartStrong brand. So it's like, you're taking that and you're saying, this is really difficult. This process is really hard. But, 
you know, I'm going to keep moving forward. And I just think that it's an incredible gift to whoever this, whoever gave you this gift. Like you're just continuing that. It is. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful, um, for, for the donate life and, and, and for Oregon donors everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, what I was gifted and, and again, just, you know, I'm, I'm able to graduate college because, because of this young man's donation, I'm able Mm -hmm. to hopefully down the road, get married and, Mm -hmm and start a family and, and buy my first home. And, and I'm able mm-hmm. to, you know, accomplish all these, these life landmarks that at one point I thought I'd never would be able to do. Mm. Um, and it's, it's all because of, of, like I said, you know, the Oregon donors selfless um, care and, and respect for, for, for me, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've always been an Oregon donor. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I really respect everybody out there that mm-hmm. was selfish enough to be an organ donor mm-hmm. and, and just being a part of it. I learned more and more, you know, an organ donor can, can save up to multiple lives. And that's, yeah. that's, that's not only affecting the person receiving the transplant. That's, that's somebody's brother. That's somebody's sister, somebody's uncle, aunt, best man in their wedding, you know, neighbor. Um, and it just affects so many other people other than the person receiving the organ. And it, it, it truly is beautiful. It is. And if you're listening you're, and you're not an organ donor, be an organ donor because Please. it's such a gift. I mean, I just had a, a surgeon on who's a cardiac transplant surgeon. And, you know, we talked about the shortage of of hearts and people that, that the need outweighs the donors. And so just as an aside, this is a little PSA here. Go uh, make yourself an organ donor next time you change over your driver's license. So, you know, you're you're a big proponent of, of obviously active living post-transplantation. You're living that. I mean, you are a proponent of it, but you're doing it, you know, and I'm sure there's a million things, but like, Ryan, what's, what's your perspective? How has it changed from who you were? I mean, we're never the same person when we go through hard things, right? We're always kind of the person we were before. And, and, and so like, how are you different and how do you see the purpose of your life now? And like, what is your, what do you, what do you hope that this, do you have any sense of like what your mission life mission is because of this? Um, yeah, yeah. I would say, I would say, um, my, my life mission outside of this is personally, it's, it's a lot more, more simple than mm-hmm. it. I really want to live a life full of experience, good and bad, mm-hmm. um, because that's life. Yes. And, that's something that out of all of this, I was able to appreciate. And, and we, we've talked about this this whole time is, is the idea that, that bad experiences still end up being being good at the end of it. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's opportunity that arise from those. Um, and that's something that I took out of it that I I'm able to live with today is that even even the negative obstacles, you know, end up being positive. They end up maturing into something mm-hmm. that is is strong and and that that pushes you forward um in the long run and i would just say coming out of it i'm I'm a lot more mentally mature Mm. um in in many ways not not just as an individual as a man but but really the way my mind operates Hmm. um you know i i as i said before i have a lot more gratitude than i have before just just of the gift of life um 
but yeah, my, my, my life goal from here is, you know, I, I really hope that this story can motivate people, um, not just in the, the transplant realm, but, but in just in general, I mean, yeah. in, in recent years, this has just been a, a very treacherous time. It you is. Know, COVID and, and everything, it just seems kind of like it's falling down at the moment. It does. Um, and all of us at, in the past decade have probably gone through something that, that has made us reconsider something about ourselves or about our life. And what I want my story to display is no matter how low you think you are or no matter how defeated you are, that there's always, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And it might be hard to see that light and you might not see that light at first, but just don't throw in the towel. You know, don't quit. Mm. Don't, don't stop your feet from moving. Um, you know, when you get knocked back, take another step forward. If you get knocked back again, take two steps forward, you know, and, and that's, that's something I took out of this that I'm hoping to share with others. Mm. Yeah. That's, and I think that's such a needed message in the world right now. I think there, like you said, it's been a tough three years. I think people feel somewhat hopeless, somewhat broken. I think we have a very divided world and country. Yeah. And I think what the commonality though of humans is challenge, is suffering, is hardship. We all, like you said, we all experience those things. And your story is such a testament of what you can do with it and who you can become in the process. And so I hope your story reaches like far and wide because it's incredibly inspiring. And you mentioned about like you you grew up a little bit obviously faster. You had a different sort of mindset. I'm wondering if you can share just a little bit about like, you know, in, as a peer, people in your early 20s, people that are your age, like, do you ever feel somewhat different than them? Or have your friends like shifted because of you? Like how, how has that experience been in your life? Yeah. Um, I think alongside the process, my friends have matured with me um, yeah. because not only was, was it a, you know, a, a scary event or, or a, you know, extreme event for me, but also the people close to me, of um, course. you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends and, and close family haven't really experienced, you know, something to this scale before. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think that all my friends and, and people around me have really matured along with me. Um, sure. There, there's, there's certain elements that, that, that I feel like, like I've matured um, exponentially from and, and, and I can, you know, struggle to relate with, with some of my friends with, but for the most part, I, I feel as if a lot of my friends kind of grew alongside with me and, and with them following me through the process, um, grew with me through the process. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. I'm curious. One of the things I, I've heard of people say that when they get a new heart, like they sometimes have like different food preferences or personality yeah. shifts. Have you noticed anything like that in your story? I get this question a lot. Um, <laughs> I've, I've tried, like there, there's certain things, I guess, um, mm -hmm. one, and this is a, a, a food thing that's a lot. I, I absolutely adore yellow Gatorade, like the <laughs> Gatorade yep. and I never did before. And really? That I remember in the hospital, like I craved, I was like, man, I, I just want a yellow Gatorade. Um, that was something mm -hmm. I got took out of it, but, but personality wise, other than, than myself maturing in the process, I wouldn't say I've, I've a, a, a changed mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say I've uh, a new hankering for lemon. Yellow Gatorade. Yeah. 
And do you do you know who your donor is? Have you gone through that process, or is that something that you want to do? I I, I would love to. Um, I you know donate life is is very um, specific with with how you you contact your yep. your donor's parents. Um, I did know that my my donor was was a man. Um, mm. And that he was 27. That's that's mm-hmm. all I was really told. Um, yeah. Um, besides that, I I previously written a letter to um mm-hmm. to to the contact on file for, for him. Um, and and again, I, I'm not allowed to know his name, sure, where he's from. But but I wrote a letter to um to his parents, really letting him know that um that that I had an extreme extreme love for their son, you know, yeah. that, that he had given me an opportunity that, that I didn't think I had. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to make it on too much on me because, you know, they, they lost their son and yeah. as much as their son was a saving grace to me, they have still, you know, lost somebody very close to them. So I just want to let them know that how grateful I was for, from his selflessness, mm-hmm. um, and from who, who they raised him as a person. Um, because, because of that, you know, I, I was able to, to to continue my life and to move my life. And I wanted to let them know that th- this organ was not going to be, you know, it implanted in me in vain, that I was going to mm-hmm. do everything I could do to fill that heart with with love and as much hope and as much, you know, of, of all the, the beauties of, of, of life that I can. And, mm-hmm. and I really wanted them to know that I was going to put it to, to great use and mm-hmm. that I was going to remember him in every single day carrying it along with me. Mm-hmm. I think you're doing that in an incredible way. I would love to know like how your family's doing. Like how's your dad? Your dad received a heart. Yeah. How's he doing? And how's your mom and your sister? Like how it's a family thing to go it through is. something like this. It is. And and my family has grown so much from it. Mm. Um it's it's pretty amazing. You know, I'm I'm in a way I'm 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 very amazed with you know, just it was so, it was so dark for a long time. Um, and it never felt like we, we had any lack of, lack of, of quitting us. You know, we always looked at the positives. We always worked to push through the dark times and, and hope for, for brighter times. And it, it's, it's, it's exciting now to see us on those brighter times, mm-hmm. you know, on to, to better things. And, and we've, we've only grown stronger and closer through the whole event. Um, my dad's doing great. Hmm. You know, he, he, uh, he has a heart transplant now and, and he's, he's, you know, goes to the gym every day. Wow. He, um, he actually is working alongside, he works out with, um, with LVAD patients, um, Very cool. tries to get them in, in shape and, and ready so that the transition from LVAD to, to transplant is, is smooth. Hmm. Um, and my mom is, is crushing it. You know, my mom is a uh, a very smart, intelligent woman. She's killing it uh, at her job, and and my little sister is, you know, she's she's living her life. She's enjoying it, um, and and she's. I'm glad that amidst all of this, that she um, she she gets to have all of us. You know, mm-hmm. and to uh, I get to share these memories with my sister moving forward. And I actually got to hang out with my little sister this past weekend, and. And, and just being able to share that moment with her, you know, it was, uh, it's, it just at, at certain times feels surreal, 
Mm. Um, I look back two years ago today and, and, and I was in a much different spot and, and to be able to now to, to, to be able to have all, you know, my, my family healthy, um, and back to where we are, you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful and, um, just very fortunate mm-hmm. and I'm, uh, yeah, we're doing great. You know, we're, we're only, we're only stronger. It doesn't kill you makes it stronger. And That's we're, right. We're, and we're, I, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed in this conversation is just how much you value the present moment, which right. I be honest, struggle with that. I'm kind of a future oriented. I always have goals, things I want to accomplish, things I want to do. I just, and I guess I kind of look back, I, I kind of thought about my son, Ethan, who was sick for a long time. You know, he didn't really like to watch TV looking back. Like he wasn't a typical, he was my first kid. So I didn't, you know, I didn't really know any better, but yeah. he didn't really want to watch TV. He just wanted to hang out with people. He liked to listen to music. Like he was very intentional. And, yeah. and sometimes I, even though he was very young, it was very different than my other boys who were like, if I can't peel them off YouTube, you know, they'll, they'll be on there all day. So yeah. it's just like, it's interesting because you have this perspective of the gift of the present moment of time with people. And I hope that people listening will take that out. of. I've taken that away from this conversation of just, even the way you described the time with your sister recently, like the gift of having a moment with the people that we love is, is truly like such a blessing. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I just, I, you know, it's in, in that whole moment, you know, I, it, it was really, you really realize that, you know, your, your life is, is, is a collection of experiences. Um, yeah. You know, you can look back and, and you can look at, at, at accolades and, and awards and all these things and, and sure they, they have meaning or, or they have, um, you know, a, a physical token that comes along with them. But what, what, what really makes you as a person, what, what really carries your life is the experiences you share mm-hmm. um, with other people and, and, and with yourself, you know, and, and on this whole journey, I've, I've been able to, to truly value the time I, I spend with myself, value myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I feel like, you know, is, is often overlooked, you know, and, and especially, you know, my generation in, 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 in today's world, you know, we're so focused on, on how others perceive us and, and, mm-hmm. and we're focused on, you know, the, the kind of how things, how things are perceived by others and not really, you know, personally, what, what, what we experience and, and what we enjoy and, and what, what we find in others, you know, we're focused on how it looks from another person's perspective. And that's something I, I try to I try to live with now is, is just kind of being in the present, being in the moment and and remembering, you know, remembering these these experiences in my life because because they'll build and they'll, they'll build on top of each other. And, you know, I hope to look at some point in my life and be able to, you know, tell a son or, or tell a friend these experiences and, and have them share those experiences with others. That, that's the beauty of it. That is, that is. So you're a senior right now. You're in your final lacrosse. Is it lacrosse season right now? It is. Yeah. We're in the it is. Right okay. Now. You're in the middle of it. And when is that season? Is it over like in the spring, like before school's out? Yeah. It's, um, well, our last regular season game is this Saturday. Okay. Um, but we, uh, we're currently on track to, um, we, we play in our conference championship, um, which for us is, is almost, our bare minimum, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're an elite team. So yeah, you have a very, yeah, very good team. To win our conference championship and then get placed in the national tournament. So I, I could be, okay. hopefully I'll be playing lacrosse up until Memorial day weekend. 
that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And who do you who do you play this weekend? Wheeling, Wheeling, Wheeling. University, Wheeling, West Virginia. Yep. All right, all right. And so then you're graduating in May. Yes. That, okay. And then what what are you hoping to do? Um, I don't know. You know, I yeah. and I'm, I'm still surveying my options. I'm I'm in no rush at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope to you know get a job and which I can apply these these things that I've learned and, and yeah. be effective at. Um, but I, I'm still, you know, I, I have, I have some, some eligibility for college and, and I'm considering maybe pursuing an MBA. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure yet. I'm, I'm yeah. just, uh, you know, see what I have at the moment. And, and right now I'm just focused on graduating college with, with good grades and, and enjoying the the next couple of weeks with, with my best friends. Yeah. And, and uh, living in the moment, right? Living in the moment. Yeah. And, and just, That's awesome. uh, just, just enjoying the now and, and you know, I'll, I'll get to that point when, when that time comes, but uh, sure. yeah, right now it's just, um, you know, graduating college is, is on my mind. That's awesome. So we've talked a lot about, you know, a lot of things that you have grown, how you've grown through this process, but this season on the podcast, I'm really focusing on who we become and what we create from the heartaches that we witness around us and the challenges that we face personally, like who are we going to become because of what we experience. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us something that you really like about yourself, that you really like about Ryan because of this experience. You're like, gosh, you know, I'm, you mentioned spending time with yourself, which I think is, is such an important thing. Um, what, what do you really love about yourself because of this situation that you've been through? That's hard. That's, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. Um, yeah. I would say what, what the person, the person I like that I've become is, is, and, and I, I don't know if this is, is necessarily an adjective or something I could describe myself with, but, but I've become unbroken hmm. um, in, in, in the light of all of this and in the moment, no, no challenge seems too steep for me. Um, no, no goal or dream seems too far away. And I would say out of all of this, I've, you know, not only had a greater appreciation of it, but, but really the idea of being unbroken, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have any quit in me. Um, and, and I won't, and I'll continue to, to live my life without that quit. Um, and that's something that I took out of all of this that 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 really fuels me and, and that that mm. excited me. Mm. That's beautiful because I think so many people these days I do identify themselves as broken. I mean, you know, people say that yeah. I hear that, and so the idea of being unbroken is pretty incredible. That's awesome. Well, Ryan, gosh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Your story is incredible. And, but I think what the most in, impressive thing to me is you. And I just want to say your generation needs you. I tell my boys that all the time. I'm thank like, you. you need to be leaders. You need to you know, work hard and accomplish and grow through your challenges because the world needs you. And so we are so blessed that you're here on this planet. And I know that there are great things for you. Thank you, Jessica. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on here and being able to speak on your platform. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me here on the HeartStrong Podcast. Please rate and review this podcast and share an episode that you love with a friend. Because when you do, 
You help us grow our mission of encouraging people to grow through the challenges of their lives and to live their full potential. We'll see you next time.